Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 36 of Undermine, brought to you by Osiris Media. I'm Tom Marshall, and I'll be your fish tour guide as we revisit that time in our nation's history when fish destroyed America. I'm talking about the band's lionized Fall 97 tour, where they went in like a lion and out like a leviathan. We've been revisiting each show of the tour on the 25th anniversary of its performance. And so far, we've traversed such great heights as Denver's Mile High shows on 1116 and 1117. And we took a little trip on the mothership, which is parked out back in Hampton, uh, Virginia 1121 and 1122. And now we're in night two of the band's first three-night stand at the Worcester Centrum. So take your protein pills and put your helmet on because it's going to be quite a ride. Joining me on this journey today is my favorite co-host. Well, only when he's on and literally watching me say that. New York Times bestselling author, Benji Eisen. Hi, Benji. Oh. Hi, Tom. Uh, <laughs> I was watching you say that. Uh, I hope uh, I hope you like Saturday nights. Oh, I do. Good, because uh, this is a Saturday night for the books. It's It's one of the nine shows that I personally made 
uh, you know, made it to on this tour. I remember I was on the floor. I think that I was either in the same row or just one or two rows back from you because I remember we had this funny discussion at the show. You pointed up to the 100s. Uh, there was a guy in one of those, if you remember those uh, old rainbow clown wig hats, and uh, and you pointed at him and, and you said, who let that guy into the building? <laughs> and did you have an answer for me? I forgot. Uh, no, you didn't have an answer. Uh, not an acceptable one, you know? <laughs> so, so I uh, know I didn't have an, an answer for you. Um, I, but I, I'll tell you what, I, you don't really see those rainbow clown wigs inside shows anymore. So maybe they fired the usher that let the guy into the building. Finally. Okay. Well, everyone's actually welcome. I, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> yes. Everyone is welcome. And everyone is certainly welcome to listen to Undermine. But if you want to be exclusive, I mean, if you're looking to be elite, well, then please consider joining Osiris Premium so that you can get, you know, the VIP treatment. You'll get bonus episodes of Undermine and HF Pod, ad free episodes. That's a big one. Access to Under the Scales archives meet and greets and you know just a whole lot more um check out osirispod.com backslash premium or just click on the link in the show notes um and tom talking of show notes here very briefly are the notes on this show it is now 11 29 1997 according to the dashboard on our in our delorean um it is therefore the saturday after thanksgiving it's the second night of fish's first three-night Worcester run, the first of two annual Thanksgiving weekend runs at the Centrum. You know, it was a it was a short-lived tradition, but in my opinion, it should have remained an annual pilgrimage for the faith, uh, fish faithful. Kind of like, you know, you have New Year's Eve at MSG and you have Labor Day at Dits in Colorado, you know, and I always thought that you should have Thanksgiving weekend at Worcester. Tom, um, did you like making the trek up to Worcester? Um, I never mind that drive. <clears throat> I'm used to it. I, I, you know, I had um, a girlfriend uh, in Boston who eventually became my wife. And so I'm I'm good at making that trip uh, up there and uh, for sure. But Benji, our special guest is literally just waiting for us in the waiting room, which is like being in the void. Should we bring him in? Yes, but <laughs> insert evil laughter. First, let me just say that uh, while we are about to hear his story, we also want to hear yours. And by yours, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, you at home listening. If you have a fall 97 story that you want to share, simply make a one minute video clip, post it on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And if you remember to tag Osiris Pod, well, then you will be automatically entered into our fun little game in which a random storyteller will get the handwritten lyrics to Ghost, care of the song's lyricist, who also happens to be the guy in the other square on this Zoom. For those of you listening and not watching on YouTube, I am staring into the eyes of Tom Marshall. Please don't do that. <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right. I think it's time. I'm going to bring in our guest now. And by the way, if you subscribe to Under Undermine Premium, um, Osiris Premium, I should say, you can wear a rainbow wig when you listen to our podcasts. <laughs> and it's not just limited to this podcast. You can wear it for any podcast. Um, anyway, we can both stare into the eyes of our guest, um, but I'd rather we just talk about this show. Um, our guest is a contributor to the Fish Companion, major contributor, and was on the Mockingboard, Mockingbird board for 10 years. And additionally, he's the arts 
and Culture Senior Reporter for the St. Louis Public Radio. And he writes for the Boston Globe, NPR, and the New York Times. It is Jeremy Goodwin. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. Let's see if he makes it in. There he yes. is. Hey, yes. Jeremy. Hey, Tom and Benji. <laughs> Great to see you. And uh, Jeremy, we're going to just start right in here. You've been an active and engaged member of the fish world for a long time now, going back, way back to rec.music.fish and the 1.0 online community. Uh, when was your first show and what shows did you catch on this particular Fall 97 tour? Hey, 97. <clears throat> uh, my first show was 6.30.95 at the lovely Great Woods Performing Arts Center. And uh, that's when I started listening to the band. Basically, as soon as I started listening to Fish, I started listening to a lot of Fish and reading a lot about Fish. And so I, I had like the Fish book smarts, you know, but uh, I, I see after a few months of that, I see a show, but I see just the one night at Great Woods. I see one night on the fall, the USA Arena, eleven twenty two ninety five, with that great experimental free. Uh, and then the Worcester shows on the New Year's run. I was at a point in my fandom where it hadn't occurred to me that you could go see them somewhere else. You know, I was just seeing the local shows. Right. Uh, 96, I finally, uh, the Clifford Ball is a major experience. Get to Hampton in, in North Carolina in the fall, see the whole New Year's run. Only see the Great Wen in 97. But I, I, I always remember sitting on my porch uh, when the Donatic Schweiss with the fall tour 97 dates came out. And I might have been sitting on the porch when it was delivered or it had just come in. And I'm looking at the November calendar and I remember saying, I can see one, two, three, four, five, six shows in a week. This is this is awesome. Uh, and I said, I will see these six shows. And okay. I had no idea how it was. I think everyone has a fish moment when you hear a show is going to happen. And it's kind of like, oh, I will be there. I don't know how exactly, but, you know, it'll happen. Uh, so I got to see uh, Hampton, Hampton, Hartford, and then the, the three Worcester shows. And then the New Year's run, just to talk about 97, uh, other than the 29th, which was a, a tough beat, but but 1230 made up for it. You know, everyone, when we're talking about these fall 97 shows. Everyone brings up the, the New Year's run because that was kind of uh, that. And then the island tour was kind of like the exclamation mark on the exclamation mark. Um, mm -hmm. Jeremy, to get the full context of this night, I think this is one of those runs where you have to take this show in consideration of the night before and the night after, you know, three very different shows, very different. Now, somewhere along the way in 3.0, Saturday night shows have often become, you know, the showcase night where fish drops into a high gear for these heavy hitting type one jams with these big guns, you know, and we call that the Saturday night special. Yeah. Does this show qualify as a Saturday night special? Oh, this is the furthest thing from a Saturday night. It's special that is possible. It's the opposite. Whatever the opposite of a Saturday night special is, is the middle. It's the Monday morning, you know, it's the double baked lobster <laughs> with, a, with like a surcharge. <laughs> it's, it's very inconvenient. You've got to call a week in advance. It's not a user-friendly uh, <laughs> show on the whole. <laughs> it's a, it, it's one of those shows where even though I was, I was there and even though I loved it, I didn't even remember that there was a first set to this show. Let's get right to it so that there's no elephant sitting in this room. Let's get him out of here. Tell us about this, this runaway gym. Mm. Well, uh, I think the Worcester gym is a big exclamation mark. Everything about it, it's, it's the longest jam Fish has ever played. It's very loud. Trey is going nuts for about nuts. 59 minutes uh, <laughs> on every tool in the in the kit, you know, 
Everything he has on stage, he is touching at some point during that jam. Mike is absolutely hyperactive for minutes and minutes and minutes at a time, just throwing little bass lines out there. And Fishman, the same, uh, very, very active, works during a lot of sections, several sections. He really works the hi-hat and cymbals quite a bit, suddenly throws in a few measures of double time and then back again. He's just very there. Uh, so a lot's happening. And I think... Eventually, it might get a little tiring to the ear for some listeners. I think a lot of people respect the Worcester Gym, but don't enjoy it. Uh, I have no trouble enjoying that shit. Um, <laughs> I think it's terrific. So, yeah, looking at it's one of those things where uh, as soon as they start, as soon as they leave the, the, the composed, the, as soon as they start playing the regularly scheduled jam, it just takes off. I.e., you know, seven minutes into this, it's one of those things I, I love sometimes with the great the great jams. Sometimes I'll sit and I'll think and wonder, being in the audience, when did they realize this was really going somewhere special? And and a lot of them, it turns out to be a forty minute amazing tweezer. But by minute eight, it was already getting there. And this is one of those, you know. So uh, the first fifteen minutes or so is basically just the most the most raging, slightly type two runaway gym you really could hope for. Uh, and that's about the you know the first fourteen minutes or so, and uh, at fourteen and a half minutes, there's this big shift. And I remember this happening that night. I remember the lights going blue and purple, but it goes into this slinky, not even slinky, this easy, easy, slow groove, which is maybe the signature jam of this jam, other than the week of Pog. I suspect a lot of people maybe got that far and really enjoyed it and ended up, you know, some people remember that. But it's about eight minutes of just this swinging swinging just groovy groovy jam uh and for years i heard it as uh, trace playing these blues licks just all over the place it's 16 notes everywhere and i always heard it as kind of bluesy but on my re-listen this week it occurred to me it's almost like the the fall 97 sound with the tempo is just brought down the furthest that they would ever like sustain a jam it's so slow that you can't even bob your head to it it's just this groove um but basically as far as i'm concerned that first half hour of the worcester gym i i defy you to just hear that piece and tell me it's not one of the great fish jams of all time um it's just fight but it's fireworks happening like the whole time And it, it keeps going after that. <laughs> and you're looking at my notes, the 30s are basically, let's see, the 30s, and I'll, you know, I'll run through this, but the uh, the 20s, the whole 20s are raging. By 42 minutes, it starts Peter down for a second and then pulls back up again. There's a moment, finally, 47 minutes in. I think Fishman thinks they're going back into finish Runaway Jim, 
but for some reason, Trey wanders into Weekapog very quickly. It's not like one of those, like the SPAC Piper, where the Tweezer Reprise Jam is like on the horizon and you're still, you're getting there and it's coming <laughs> into focus and it happens. It's like Trey's like, oh, I'm going to play a little Weekapog, a little few Weekapog chords here. And basically that eight, that's about eight minutes that is essentially very similar to if they had transported into the middle of like a, a Weekapog jam from, from like the intro to the middle of the jam, what we once called the, the quiet mode. And I remember Charlie Dirksen memorably describing it while using the term. He said, well, it's not quiet and it's not a mode, but the, the quiet mode. <laughs> and it's super funky. It's great. And basically, you know, it, it takes us through, through the 50, through the fifties and it ends in a way that I really enjoy. Sometimes the jam just sort of peters out and that's fine. But this is one of those where Trey hits this heavy, heavy chord that just, you know, the digital decay takes like 70 seconds. It's this big final, you know, it's like the, you know, the white album situation. Uh, and uh, excuse me, a day in the life. I'm day so in the sorry. Life. Yeah, the so piano, sorry. The piano I apologize. Piano. I apologize. Day in the life reference. Uh, but, uh, he did that for instance, at the end of the, uh, Deer Creek sand, uh, was one of those where it just, mm. so right. that's a Worcester runaway gym. I mean, if, if somebody wants to stand up and, and, and tell me what's, what's wrong with it, I'd like to hear it, <laughs> but it's not the kind of thing people reference a lot. it's a jam masterpiece uh you know are there uh, other shows that we can compare this to in that like does it sit with the the tweezer fests and the the providence bowies or the, the shoreline planets i love thinking about it like well with with full respect to the to the shoreline soul planet i'll give you i'll i'll, I'll just keep a quarter of the worcester gym for that i that's all i need that'll that's fine i would take the worcester gym shoreline soul planet second half of that is wonderful but you know, I, I think that the original Tweezer Fest, you know, five seven ninety four is clearly yeah. a more important show than than this one. But in terms of just the music, I think you, there's no reason not to have this in the conversation with the Mud Island Tweezer. Um, I personally prefer it to a lot of those those great Tweezers on that summer tour, Jones Beach, uh, the Fleezer. I, I, I prefer this to that. So uh, you know, the, the first question, do. what's yeah. that? I said, I think we yeah. all in, in, in this uh, Zoom, all three of us. Oh, okay. Okay. So, I mean, it's it's like at that level, but it's one of those things where there's yeah. so much of it. It's almost like a festival. It's almost like a secret set in terms of trying to evaluate it. it you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to compare. Would you, well, one thing's safe to say is that Jim is never going to come home again after this, after this runaway Jim. Um, would you call it the greatest runaway Jim of all time? Are there any others that rank up there? 
if you're going to try to put something up as, as quote unquote better, a runaway gym that's better than Worcester, I think it would have to be one of the 30 minute ones. Um, there, there's a few of those, uh, 811, 98, 73, 2000. Uh, there's another one. Um, oh, of course the original, the original goat, uh, Raleigh 66095, the, the Walnut Creek one. Mm. Uh, so you got to be comparing it to those, those sorts of things, I think. Nice. Well, I I think it's the the leader of of that pack, uh, but I like all those versions you just said. Uh, you know, actually, fellas, um, that flashing red light, which you don't actually see because it's not really there, is there <laughs> to tell us that it is time to take a, a quick break. Um, so don't you dare go anywhere, because when uh, we come back, everybody gets handwritten lyrics. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com, that's distrokid with a capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine for a special offer only for our listeners. That's distrokid, capital K, dot com slash VIP slash undermine. Thanks, distrokid. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. Benji, you have a whole lot of handwriting to do because the only lyrics I'm writing down are those from Ghost, and they're going to our contest winner. I ain't afraid of no 11, 17, 97 Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's get back into it with today's guest, Jeremy Goodwin. And let's get back to that runaway gym, or as it has been nicknamed, the gym symphony. Jeremy, as the jam was unfolding and shape-shifting from one section to the next, were you aware of like the time that had elapsed? As it went on, did the length start to play into the thrill of the jam? I love that you mentioned time, because at this point in time, I, I was very into the set list notebook. You know, a lot of people had writing down the set list, but also notes about the hotel, people's phone numbers, which you had to do. For Radio City 2000, I remember drawing a map from my hotel to the venue. and the, So you yeah, got this. The night, 11-29-97, I had forgotten it. So I'm paying particular attention to the set list to remember it and to time any major jams which didn't keep me too busy in the first set. I would have been tracking uh, the simple and the Bowie. Uh, so Runaway Jim starts. I'm there with my good friend Christian, who had taken me to my first Worcester Centrum fish show two years before, 12 95 So given how that night went, we, of course, had to become great friends and, and see a lot of shows. 
But Runaway Jim starts, and I look at my watch, and for the sake of this anecdote, let's assume I'm correct about this, but I think they they hit the stage right about 10 o'clock for that set. And they're playing, and they're playing, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to remember Runaway Jim. I'm writing it in my head. And I look at the watch. Oh, it's been 15 minutes. Uh, solid Jim. It's been 20 minutes. Oh, 25 is when it's you know it starts to get like oh this is this is longer than a usual jam uh and you're just watching that hand go around the moon and then it's 30 minutes and plenty of people have seen fish play a 30 minute jam you know i mean it's they don't haven't done it that many times but they do it once in a while it's a thing they do so it was really i distinctly remember looking at that watch an analog watch and it wasn't until it got to 40 minutes that then I'm starting to question when it started, right? I'm like, wait, was it really 10? Are you sure it wasn't 10, 15? Okay, I couldn't write it down. And this just seems so strange, but I, I reconciled with the fact it had been 40 minutes and gave in to what was, gave in to that. And so by the time I recall looking and seeing it had been 45 minutes, and by that point, I'm, it was, I'm act, it's like completely normal. Like, oh, yeah, of course, that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what's happening here. It's 40, yeah, it's 45 minutes into the gym. Thank you for asking. So they, they play this jam. It ends. I look at my watch. It's 11 p.m. You know, the little hand was on the 10 at the beginning of the runaway gym, and it was on the 11 at the end of the runaway gym. And I just think I'll never have another fish experience where I say, oh, how long was that fish gym just now? And look at my watch and say, all right, yeah, 10 to 11, one hour. Yeah, 10. So uh, for <laughs> nice. someone who is a fan of, jam timings and lengths and, and all that kind of thing. Uh, it was a pleasure to to be there on this, on this occasion. Are you wearing the you same know, watch? Jeremy, it actually might be in my old house somewhere. <laughs> you, have, you have the watch. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, I, I remember thinking, you know, at some point I remember thinking this is going to be a one song second set. And I was just so excited. I was like, as, as they're going and as, you know, that, that, that minute hand is going around to become the hour hand. I, I I remember distinctly being thrilled at the prospect that perhaps we're looking at a one song second set. And then I remember some people around me sighed like a visible, you know, if not audible, but a visible sigh of relief when Paige went into strange design. And I think I, I think I just sighed because I was like, I wanted it to be, uh, you know, a, a one song set. Um, energetic. Well, Benji, by the rules of engagement, they had just played a one-song set because we love to look at those fall 97 set lists that are so pretty, the four-song sets and the five-song sets. A lot of those were just barely an hour or a little under an hour. So if they wanted to, they had just played a one-song set in the books. Uh, Tom might have a perspective on this, but uh, Trey is such a showman and he has talked so much about wanting to exhibit the different facets of what fish can do on a given night. He would never in his professional life step on the stage, play that runaway gym and then say, we've had a great time. Good night. So they, they, they did play some more, but I think it was a, it was subtraction by addition uh, at some point uh, in that well, set. You do bring up a great point, uh, Jeremy, because that, that is true. Uh, and we've mentioned it on the show before that some of these four song second sets you leave going, oh my God, that was a four song set. But then you looked at the time and you're like, they had time for a fifth one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they had time and sits and seventh in some cases, you know. But not, a, but not to complain, but I think those sets are so elegantly constructed. They ended when they needed to end. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a feeling. It's a feeling more than a timing. Uh, so was this set energetically uh, like essentially over at that point? And were they just adding on songs? Because they do that sometimes. They, they hit this peak and then. And then it's a race to the yeah. finish line. You know, right. or, well, were, there, were there additional peaks and highlight in the second set? And and while I'm asking you this, 
also, let's go back after you answer to the first set to anything we need to look at there. Okay. Um, I mean, they play Strange Design, and that's got to be the most earned ballad in like the Fish <laughs> repertoire, right? Yeah. No grounds for complaint there. That's that. There's when you play it. It's a beautiful song. Play Strange Design. Hood. Oh, perfect. It's like we almost get in. It's a 17 minute hood. We almost get in a capsule version of the Runaway Gym experience, which was this tension building and building and building and finally being released with the Weekapog jam. And now we we take a breather and then Hood gives us a little version of that energy again. And there's your elegant, beautiful three song second set. And I think the material would have been better presented in that format. But I, I, my guess is that they they feel like, oh, we're giving the people more, you know, by by playing the the Caspian and the Susie that followed on this evening. But, uh, I mean, once you're done with the Runaway Gym, give yourself a pat on the back, you know, treat yourself to that workout or whatever it is that, you know. <laughs> first set, yeah, uh, it's actually quite nice for the first 20 or so minutes, basically, until until Simple doesn't go anywhere. It kind of, Then it just kind of goes sideways for a bit. The Bowie's a little long. It's 19 minutes. It's pretty type one. But from a collecting standpoint, no, no reason to revisit it. But seeing songs like The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday, you know, never gets old. And it, it certainly wasn't old on, on this night. Uh, there's an encore. You can skip it if you need to. Gotcha. Gotcha. There's an encore, too. Uh, the encore was a little bit unusual and zany. Um, as zany as the show itself, really. Buffalo Bill, um, Moby Dick, Fire. And I'm happy that Buffalo Bill was on there, of course. Um, Tom, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry to interject here, but um, but Buffalo Bill, it's one of yours. And so I have to take this opportunity to ask you, I think you explained at one point that Buffalo's Bill, Buffalo Bill's lyrics start off, if I remember this correctly, they start off based on true events. And then they kind of devolve into your own dark, twisted fantasy. Is that right? Um. I'll answer yes only to the first part of the question. I don't like the phrasing of the second part, but uh, <laughs> they uh, they indeed are are based on actual events and and um, not to speak ill of those who are no longer around to defend themselves, but suffice it to say, even when he was alive, um, uh, he desired absolutely no connection to me and would never know or care about anything I wrote. So what I'm talking about is a, a terrible boss I had. I was young in a technology group. Um, and the big boss was a British gentleman who ran the organization like a military unit. He was like a, uh, he was the general, of course, and I was a lowly private. Let's call him the general for the sake of the story. <laughs> um, he, he tried to gain respect through fear and it worked for some. I was kind of amused, but all the same, I definitely tried to stay out of his way. He would, he would be very observant. He's the kind, like if anyone took too long at lunch or, or took any kind of unsanctioned break. Um, so, so one morning he came in, um, and he uncharacteristically was very effusive and was talking about an owl he just saw out in the parking lot. And it was the most, I think he'd spoken to us about non-work stuff ever. Then he left. We thought he left the office. So uh, my friends, uh, Barry Orr and Joaquin Lucero, those are their actual names, by the way. Shout out Barry and Joaquin. And I took an extra long walk um, through one of those wooded trails at ETS, the Educational Testing Service. And it's beautiful, uh, like a country college campus. Um, but of course, as Faye would have it, who should we see appear coming around the bend in front of us on the path <laughs> in those woods? The general <laughs> and his frown was we, we were all like we were worried for our jobs. His frown was outrageous. 
and he made it clear just his by frown was outrageous. Just by yeah, <laughs> rage filled. Rage, it's yeah, beyond yeah. rage filled. He, he and he made it clear, um, you know, that we were in trouble, and his hatred of our disobedience radiated from him. And and he, as he approached, I realized that that no one is going to say anything. And and I couldn't just let that weirdness happen. I couldn't let him glower at us and us be so scared that we weren't going to say anything. And it was just so wrong. And so right as we were face to face, I kind of remembered his wonderful owl story of the morning. And so I said to him, looking for owls and <laughs> his reaction, he kind of was dumbfounded and his expression, it was legendary. He, he, he put on this amazing like scowl frown and then just walked away. And my pals were certain that I would be fired for that. And that's really actually the whole, the whole story. Nothing happened. I wrote a song about it. And of course, I, you know, I may have added a more appropriate ending to what really happened. <laughs> well, he meets uh, in, in your ending, he meets a, um, a rather unfortunate fate in those woods. He does. He does. Um, <laughs> Uh, when they they come out and so that's amazing, Todd. Uh, yeah. The yeah, way real events being transposed into what Buffalo Bill this almost like a little nursery rhyme. Uh, your line about the, knowing that that happened in person does not take away from my enjoyment of the song at all. I, that was great. Thank you. <laughs> it adds to it. It adds to it. Yeah. <laughs> but so in this encore, you know, after Buffalo Bill, then of course there's a Zeppelin tune, then a Hendrix tune. Do you think there's any significance in that, Jeremy, or or, or was it just a, a big way to end a big night? Well, I mean, there are a little historic, a weird little historical ripple that was happening at that point was that uh, Buffalo Bill. At the fish, there was a period from New Year's '94 to 11, 27, 98, where they played it four times. It was all in New England. So at the Great Went, uh, the Boston Garden, and twice in Worcester. Hmm. So this is this weird little moment when it was a big bust out at the time, and it felt special because it was like a, a hometown kind of thing. Trey was just, I think the, the Moby Dick is because Fishman was just playing his tits off all night and once in a while Trey acknowledges that it happens all the time once in a while he acknowledges that but he, he all the Hendrixian wailing in the runaway gym which is really what you know he's just loud and the wah is very prominently used uh maybe Hendrix it's also the year with with Isabella maybe Hendrix was just top of mind for Trey I don't know Tom do you remember ever hearing Trey sort of go on about loving a band or loving music and then there's some point in the future where you say, oh, I, I actually, I, I hear that influence now. Does that strike a, a chord at all? Well, I mean, sort of a lot to, to increase the size of that metaphor. It's like, you know, we, we get remain in light and then we get fall 97 tour. But um, yeah, you know, it, it would happen. He like, I remember he stumbled upon a version of, uh, Johnny be good with Hendrix. And then before long, that that was the version he was he was playing. But um, I always kind of hoped that it would happen with Pink Floyd. We'd listen to Pink Floyd all the time. And I was like waiting for Fish to cover some crazy, you know, shine on you crazy diamond. Or of course they did, you know, Dark Side of the Moon at one yes. point. But, say, or, or do yeah. like an entire album inside a harpoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in a half empty arena. <laughs> Which I missed. So that doesn't yeah. count. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess if he happened to ever say, oh, I love this My Bloody Valentine album to you before 97, that that could be an example of that because we, we heard tons of that in, in the in the gym. 
Yeah, we we actually did. That's right. Um, and and of course, there's that the infamous uh, sound check and, and or uh, what what is it the hokey pokey. Uh, you know, in uh, in Europe, where they where they cover my bloody Valentine. Um, so, Jeremy, you know, all three of these Worcester nights, all three of them, all three of these '97 shows are so legendary, and also each one really has its own fingerprint. It's its own thing. Um, and then you put them together, and it kind of it, it, it's a beautiful you know arc and narrative of those three nights. I'm pretty sure that I left. I, I'm positive actually that I left the building all three of those nights. Going, how are they ever going to top that? You know, and each night was just they did. Uh, how how do you rank these nights if you have to put them back to back, one, two, and three? The Worcester run, the Turkey run in '97, uh, and I I have the T-shirt. I do have that T-shirt somewhere for 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 that run. Uh, there was a two turkeys dancing on the back. <laughs> this run is like my the, like the the my Talmud of fish. Like I have looked at this run and analyzed it and thought about it and thought about it again over the years. And something is really enigmatic about it. I can't get a handle on these three Worcester shows. I love them. I've been listening to them since shortly after they happened, but there's just something happening between the lines there. It's like, it's these three shows that anyone will tell you the three great shows, but it has with one notable exception, it has no major jams that are representative of the year really, or, or the tour. Uh, the one example being the, the Worcester ghost where they essentially perfected uh, whether you want to call it cow funk or not, the stuff they were playing on stage, that Worcester ghost is that's the grooviest nice. thing they've ever played. I think as far as I, you know, you can find stuff that's funkier maybe, but they were in complete control of that. It's almost right. like they reached that point of like, we can do anything we want in this mode. So now we're going to go on and play a 30 minute Wolfman where the first half sounds like kind of like fall 98 and the second and the last 12 minutes is just a, a riff. Right? Definitely not cow funk. Definitely not cow funk. Definitely not. So it, it's just such an interesting run. And I, I certainly can't rank them. All I can do is tell you that Sunday is the least great of them, huh. but uh, that's the, the, you enjoy myself is kind of like a neon lights. You enjoy myself in the first set of the 28th, the extended cross-eyed and painless uh, teasing by Trey during that. Someone is playing some kind of percussion instrument that I've never heard again in a fish song. And I don't know what it is or who's playing it at, in that 1128, 97 uh, So there's highlights all over, but you would never say, oh, you you, you like fish 97. You, you heard some Europe shows. You're, you're into that vibe. Uh, Here's the Worcester gym. Here's eleven thirty ninety seven. Like no, uh, so it's just a. It was <laughs> well, an interesting also, three nights. I also like how you frame it in that it does seem like all three of them. You know, like I was getting it before. It tells a story. It's a narrative art where each one's a different chapter. You know, but but maybe not straight out of the fall ninety seven playbook. Uh, and you know, people think of the the funky stuff. You know, uh, from that year and some, and that that's a huge piece of it. But there was lots more happening. There was lots more happening in Fall '97. The ACDC bag a few nights before. Very little of what you might call funky. I think that's a major jam. The gin actually reminds me an approach of the Winston Salem uh, bathtub gin. Uh, not the music, not this particular subgenre of '97, but that gets to a certain pitch very quickly and stays there for 30 minutes, just sort of raging the whole time. Uh, so that was just a few nights earlier that week. Um, something had just possessed Trey, I think. So even though you think, you don't think this is a good example of the tour in general, an encapsulation of the tour, where would you rank 
these just for our rankers and raiders in our audience and also for Benji. Uh, where where would you, you know, how does this night stack up to the rest of the fall of 97 tour? Oh, just the fall 97? Yeah. You'll hear people say things like 12-2-97, uh, 12-2 uh, second set is the best hour of 97 fish. Like people will sometimes say something like that. My response to that is, is this thing on the the Worcester gym? What about if that happened too? You know? <laughs> um, I, honestly, if I had to, I would actually go with seven twenty two uh, second set as my favorite hour of, of the year. But you have to. I mean, I don't know if you're really pressing me to a number, but I have to put that show in the top five of the year. Well, definitely gave, top seven. You gave us a number. Uh, <laughs> really? That's awesome. Uh, all right. Well. That's I think that's going to do it for us today. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, we're waving goodbye. We have to wave. Um, <laughs> and for you folks streaming, just close your eyes and picture it, unless you're driving. Um, thanks, <laughs> thanks to our guest today, uh, Jeremy Goodman, and as as uh, as always, thanks to Benji and our captain RJB who couldn't be here tonight, and thanks to the Osiris team, Eric Limarenko and Matt Dwyer, and thank you for listening. And by the way, if you're looking for tickets for something. Like, I don't know, maybe Fish is upcoming Four Nights at the Garden. I'd encourage you to check out Cash or Trade, the world's only social network where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. Click on cashortrade.org and may the ticket gods be ever in your favor. Um, Tom, don't forget to tell everyone about the Ardmore Music Hall, which I believe we are just announcing. Oh, yeah. Speaking of getting tickets, isn't that why you're here, Benji, to tell people about that? Yes, Tom, that is the only reason I'm here, to tell everyone that the Ardmore Music Hall on December 11th is, uh, well, the Ardmore Music Hall is a venue. It's just outside of Philadelphia on the main line um, in Ardmore. Um, oh, and Tom, RJ, and I will be there. Tom, you get both of your co-hosts that night on, on stage. So it's a full house for sure. Did we freeze? Oh my yeah, Tom froze. Tom, oh. did you just freeze? That's I'm what back. happens when we stack two of your toes together. You freeze. <laughs> I think I'm back. It says it just told me that my internet connection's unstable. So keep telling us, Benji, what's going on. Uh, okay, so we have uh, I what I said, Tom, while while you were busy in some weird frozen dimension, that uh, it's going to be you, me, and RJ combined all on stage that night um, talking. But we're gonna we're gonna try to keep the talking bits to a minimum because we've assembled a band that's going to play a Fall 97-inspired set of live music. Um, you, you can click on the, the links in the show notes, you know, or you go to uh, Ardmore Music Hall's website uh, for all the full details. And the band includes members of uh, Pink Talking Fish, Dogs in a Pile, Twiddle, and more. So that's, that's December great. 11th. And meanwhile, for tomorrow, if you're playing along, we hope you're playing along, then go home tonight and queue up Night 3 from Worcester, which, as you'll hear, is a whole different ball game from a whole different league from tonight's show, maybe even a different sport entirely. Uh, but beware of that Wolfman's brother. Hope you're not scared of the dark. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Same time, same place, over the hills, through the woods, and under the mine. Uh, thank you so much, Jeremy. And thank you, Benji, as always. Thanks, thank you, guys. Jeremy. A great, a great pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Osiris. 
Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.